0: All right, guys, so we're gonna get started. Um, I see some people are introducing themselves in the chat. Welcome, we're so glad that you can be here with us today. We have a long discussion ahead of us. We have a big panel here um, with some very distinguished speakers, so I'm looking forward to the discussion. Um, And uh, we're here today to discuss the future challenges of IoT um, together with Hub Security's very own CRO, uh, David Hochhauser, uh, along with a number of IoT and security experts, including Eric Varney, Rajiv, Adam Dani, Dr. Guru Prasad, Farid Monemmi Bekhare, um, excuse me if I'm pronouncing uh, any of these names incorrectly, um, Anup Mohan and Ilya Bidig. Uh, Thank you guys so much for being here today.
1: Um,
0: So we're gonna start our webinar with a brief introduction from David Hochhauser on the security challenges related to industrial IoT. And then our panelists will each get the chance to briefly introduce themselves. Afterwards, we'll get into a bit of a deeper discussion on everything related to IoT challenges, threats, and solutions, and how to address them. As usual, um, we'll leave about 30 minutes at the end uh, of our discussion for a short Q&A. So if you have any questions throughout throughout the discussion, you can drop them in the Q&A section below, and we will get to them later on. Um, You can also write them in the chat. If you can't find the Q&A, that's okay too. Now we have a very impressive lineup of panelists here tonight and I'm excited to have or today for some of you. Um, I'm excited to have them introduce themselves, but first we'll begin with a few words from David uh, before we hand off the mic for introductions. Take it away, David.
2: Okay, good, hey, thanks, thanks, Sterney. So I'm Dave Hochhouser and as you mentioned, I'm uh, Chief Revenue Officer for Hub Security. And for those who don't know, we are a, design extremely secure cybersecurity solutions and computing platforms. We design our own hardware and software around that. So first of all, welcome to what I think will be a fascinating discussion. And I just wanted to take a minute or two just to explain kind of why we're holding the session on industrial IoT. And then we'll get most of the session focused on our expert guests, um, who are actually it's a pretty impressive panel, and I'm really looking forward to listening to them. Um, So when you might have heard the term the fourth industrial revolution or uh, more shortly IR 4.0. So we really are kind of in the middle of a a revolutionary era era of innovation in this whole industrial section. And it's kind of driven by all of these uh, autonomous smart quote things fueled by tons of data. And so we're doing things like uh, remote you know, monitoring, predictive maintenance, um, automation, production, and, and more and more even without people. Um, so these these things uh, is really what we call IoT, um, and the other related to that is their digital twins, and they're making kind of the simulations and the control very very efficient. Um, the interesting fact is while this whole thing has kind of been underway for a while, I think actually the pandemic is kind of accelerating this whole thing. Um, you see, notice all the supply chain problems that you know that are going on. So it's really increased the pace of moving all the production back to the uh, domestic locations. So um, in a sense, everybody's starting to make their own things again. And we're heading in that direction. And one other point, you know, we think of industrial, you know, IR 4.0 about manufacturing.
3: Um,
2: in a sense, I think of it it's actually a broad, part of a broader category called critical infrastructure. And you hear about critical infrastructure all the time, and it's really um, many, many industries. Critical infrastructure is everything from manufacturing through water systems and supplies, um, electric utilities in its distribution, you have oil and gas distribution. Um, in the U.S. alone, there are over two million farms in the U.S. That's going—that's really part of the critical infrastructure and its whole entire supply chain and food production facilities, uh, mass transit systems, smart cities. All of this stuff is what part of what we'll say is you know kind of critical infrastructure and this whole industrial revolution. So the thing that I think you'll hear quite a bit today is um, a lot of the challenges. And a particular area I focus on is uh, dealing with uh, cybersecurity. And what you'll find is a lot of these environments, um, they're sitting outside traditional IT. So they make them really susceptible to attacks. So if you take like the Florida water supply, which they, they you know, try to attack, you have remote facilities and somebody's coming in there and trying to change the chemical composition of water that's going in there. So you could have, you know, arsenic and all of a sudden what should be you know a millionth of a particle somebody says hey let's make that you know 100 particles per gallon and before you know it you're poisoning the population you've seen the colonial pipeline how that shuts things down so there's an interesting thing about this it's not only kind of cybersecurity traditionally hey it's a breach and it creates a risk for the company it's actually a national security risk as well and it's why you're seeing a lot of this stuff getting funded both by the government um, and, and its private enterprise as well. So, why, to, to add to that, actually, the pace of the change and stuff and the challenge is growing at a phenomenal pace. And you know, one last point, I'll just give you an idea. Um, and we, just one piece of this deals with edge computing quite a bit. That's going to be, by IDC, a $250 billion market in the next two years. And you'll also hear from the discussion, a lot of this is around AI as well, is very heavily involved in AI and the automation and monitoring. That is projected to be $267 billion industry by 2027, which is a tenfold increase from just two years ago. The third factor that I put on top of that is cybersecurity around all of this. And the estimates are just skyrocketing. Um, Just alone the other day, I heard there were literally about 3 million job openings in cybersecurity worldwide uh, currently. So there's a ton of, you put this together and and the challenge is just enormous. Mm. So in summary, that's kind of why we felt, you know, industrial IoT as a whole really deserves some attention. And we've grouped together a a great group of people to go through this. And we'll break it kind of in three sections. One will kind of give you an overview. Everybody has their definition of industrial IoT, what the market is, their use cases. Then we'll spend a considerable time on some of the challenges around it, whether deploying it, developing it, compliance regulations, security around there. Um, And lastly, some of the trends. You know, where where all the people actually see things, you know, heading. Um, What are some of the solutions and what are some of the trends that people are looking at? Um, So with that, hopefully you've got at least a decent idea of, you know, why we're pulling this together from a security company perspective on industrial and IOT as a whole. So I hope you enjoy listening to the panel and sit back and enjoy. Thanks. Thank you,
0: David. Yeah, we're really glad that you could join us today. I I always uh, enjoy hosting with you um yeah we haven't done it in some time so so welcome um now i'd like to just take a few minutes to do a quick introduction around maybe we can start with eric would you mind giving our listeners a bit of background on yourself and your field of expertise
4: absolutely so uh, eric varney managing director of uh, telematics and industrial iot for verizon been with verizon just over 18 years uh, and have been doing iot with them for the last 10 of those 18 Uh, and have been doing quite a bit in this space and and really excited to uh, talk today about uh, what Verizon Wireless does from a security standpoint, but ensuring that we uh, have the next generation of industrial IoT solutions available to those that are really wanting to take advantage of them immediately.
0: Awesome. Really glad you could be here with us, Eric. Um, Next, uh, Rajiv from Ford Motor Company.
3: Hi. Hello. So good good morning, good evening, everybody. So my name is Rajiv Kalamdani. I am, uh, my title is manager of IoT analytics at Ford Motor Company. So uh, we've got a a group uh, entitled GDI&A, which is global data insights analytics that supports all the different skill teams within the company of which I'm a part of and I support manufacturing. So we have about 80 plants globally, uh, Asia, Europe, uh, uh, North America, etc. And we also have a lot of engineering uh, organizations. So. Uh, we've got uh, a massive undertaking on getting all our factories modernized, you know, especially with IoT. So so my role is to uh, help with deploying machine learning use cases and AI-based use cases, and in some cases, just pure visualization. Right? So, And I've got background in manufacturing, right, from working on the shop floor all the way to engineering and so on, right? So so that's that's me. Thanks.
0: Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Um, next, we have Dr. Guru
5: um, from Bosch Engineering. Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Prasad. Uh, my specialization is around uh, sensors and IoT. Um, so I come from Bangalore. Uh, presently, I'm responsible for uh, putting up a right strategy for two topics, which are very, very important for a uh, future of Bosch. One is around sensors. Uh, second one is around edge IoT. Uh, David was very clearly mentioning IoT is taking uh, a complete a radical shift in terms of what applications it was actually uh, trying to address. And probably next few years, it has to look into completely different set of applications, which are right now not possible in the existing framework of IoT. So my responsibility in Bosch is to ensure that we build right competencies, we strike right uh, partnerships with uh, right companies, to ensure that we become uh, an engineering technical partner variety ecosystem. Thank you all and looking forward to hear from you.
0: Thank you, Dr. Prasad. Um, Next we have uh, Farid who is joining us from Styles Machinery.
1: Hi, i I just make a correction. Uh, I'm CEO at (laughs) ASA. not a sales missionary, but that's okay. Also, I'm the chair of the Smart, no problem. Uh, chair of the Smart Factory at the Industrial IoT Consortium and also a member of the steering Committee at the Industrial IoT Consortium. More than 22 years in manufacturing and innovative technology, um, specifically focused on uh, IoT interoperability challenges of connectivity as well, uh, working on concepts of like 6G and um beyond that, and also have been in many of um, digital transformation committee of uh, several corporates. I think that will be it.
0: Great. Well, thanks for being here today. And um, next, we have Anup uh, Mohan from Google Cloud.
6: Hi there. Thank you uh, for having me here. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are across the world. Uh, this is Anup here, um, a product and a technologist, Been. Uh, across multiple different companies working on IoT, Cisco, Comcast, Samsung, Rockwell, and very recently actually just joined uh, Google. I've seen across various different verticals from consumer all the way to enterprise to industrial, and even in industrial, everything from manufacturing to transportation to agriculture, you name it. Uh, I look forward to sharing some of my insights with you today. I do want to call out that anything I share today is purely personal and my opinion and does not reflect anything of my past or current employer. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
0: Noted. Thank you, Anoop. Thanks for joining us. Um, so let's just jump right into it. We we have about an hour and a half, and we can go as long as two hours. Um, so we're going to, like David said, we're going to divide today's uh, discussion into three different topics. We're going to start sort of with an overview of uh, the market and, and the industry uh, for people who are not so familiar with it, um, and then we're going to go into some of the challenges, um, threats, and um, lastly, solutions. So why don't um, Farid? Why don't you start us off? What is the state of IoT of the IoT industry today, and what primarily drives its growth?
1: Sure. Uh, before that, I just want to just give a very quick intro. I mean, introduction of IoT from what I think in you know, a very uh, easy uh, sense What I think is the IoT is connecting our physical world to uh, digit to basically the digital world and help us to not only learn from the future know uh, the present and also be able to predict and plan uh, the, f- the future that uh, our optimum or better future uh, i would say uh, according to um, the latest study that came out actually the number of the um, connected iot devices this year is growing by nine percent and uh, we'll end up to have we will end up to have 12.3 billion uh, global uh, connected devices by end of the year which about, I think uh, our friends from Verizon know that better than me, probably, that uh, about more than 2 billion of that are the cellular IoT devices. And this forecasted to be, uh, by 2025, 27.1 billion uh, connected device, which means 22% growth. So we understand a little bit the state of IoT devices and industry, how it's important going forward. And all these uh, uh, coming together is considering is still, we have some big challenges like uh, cheap shortages that we're talking about right now and impact of supply chain by COVID-19, which is expected to be out there for next two weeks. From the market perspective, we expect it to be about 1 trillion by um, 2030, uh, which last year, I think we're somewhere around 400 billion, if I'm not mistaken. And the this growth is coming to the certain level because of the development of wireless networking from the technology perspective, the emergence of the data, um, uh, advanced data analytics, and also the, um, what is it called? The um, reduction of the cost for connected devices. And also we know from the industry and business perspective, uh, business continuity, and also having digital transformation, especially after uh, COVID-19, is kind of expediting all of these requests, and uh, uh, everybody wants to make sure the remote operation, uh, permanent maintenance, and all those kind of things will be in place before the next uh, pandemic happens. So that would be the state, I would say.
0: Thank you, Farid. Um, Anoop, how far has industrial IoT come, and what is different about the industry today?
6: that's that's a great question actually you know um, uh, farid you were absolutely right right you know uh, what is iot really about collecting data from physical objects and making some sense sort of it yeah. if you sort of take a step back and you know go back 50 years 100 years it's not really new that you are able to collect data from physical uh, devices i mean uh, you know industrial automation has existed for you know multiple decades right now and actually one of my previous employers rockwell automation has been doing this for a number of decades so what's really different now, right? I mean, industrial automation has existed for a number of decades, but now all of this hype in the last five, 10 years or probably for the next five, 10 years called industrial IoT. What is really different? Um, the way I look at it is um, a few things have changed and which, which sort of makes us shift from industrial automation to what we call as industrial IoT. One is connecting the unconnected, right? What I mean by that is there's always a limitation of what physical object, what controllers could be connected. And those, those could be because of wireless availability, wireline availability, connectivity speed, connectivity protocol, it could be any of that, but you know, connecting the unconnected has changed. You could really connect a lot more today. Second is ability to do things remotely, right? And I'll talk to, talk to you about this as we go further in the panel, but COVID has really shown all of us why remote is so important, right? So the ability to not just be able to talk to the physical objects, but be able to sort of do it remotely. Then third one is, You know, previously, people were very happy doing it locally, right? I mean, bring the data from a physical object, have a computer right next to it, or probably have a PC right next to it, and be able to control back, have a closed loop. But now being able to collect the data across multiple different devices, multiple different plants, multiple different geos, and learn from one and apply to the other is sort of new. And then finally, it's IT-OT convergence, right? So previously, when you talk about industrial automation, it was really the OT guys who are responsible for this closed loop automation. But now IT is getting involved, IT tools are getting involved, IT is making it easy. Now, so when you apply all of these together, which is connecting the unconnected, remote, cross-plant or cross-location analytics, IT-OT convergence, it increases both a top line opportunity for some companies and a bottom line efficiency for a few companies. And that's why industrial IoT comes in and is sort of different from sort of what we used to call as industrial automation.
0: Thank you, Anup. And Rajiv, maybe you can make it practical for us. What are some of the types of use cases you're using IoT for? And how are they providing value to Ford Motor Company?
3: Right. So, uh, so I think that was a, that was a great lead-in by, by Anup, you know, because what what we traditionally get measured on is, is you know how many parts can we make you know are they good quality and are they being made at, at a reasonable cost right so so all the I, IoT or iot you know devices and and data and such unless we can make that better it really doesn't doesn't help right so so our use cases are broad, broadly divided into maybe four categories right so top one is i would say quality which essentially Make sure that we we can use some of the connected vehicle data or connected you know sensor data to assess quality and have you know quicker feedback and quicker resolution of issues that pop up. So those are like a big piece of uh, what we do at Ford. Uh, second one would be maintenance, and maintenance is again uh, tied to throughput. So we want to predict you know equipment that is going to go down and and have you know remediation done off shift and so on, so it does not affect production and then find the right balance between preventive maintenance and you know and predictive maintenance and so on. Uh, third one that that is specific to maybe the automotive and could be have analogies in other industries is what we call connected vehicle data. right So as our, our vehicles are being built, how can we get the data now that the vehicles are sending through modems right It could be location data, it could be telematics data, it could be test data and so on and then uh, finally we also have a very labor intensive sort of operation right so how do you use iot for for labor management right connected connected devices wearable devices how does it help them also making sure that we have some of the feeds on how many people showed up what is the best way of using them and so on right so so that's kind of how we're doing it but it's all again measured like i said in the beginning by by the same measures of, you know, quality and, and throughput and, you know, cost, essentially.
0: I think those are really interesting use cases, and thank you for sharing some of them with us, um, Eric. Maybe you can tell us what does the term massive IoT mean, and how um, how does how is the IoT landscape uh, expected to change looking forward? Um, maybe as a follow up, you can also share with us a little bit about what Verizon is doing to address those developments generally across the
4: board. Absolutely, and as you've heard from my uh, illustrious colleagues here, we everybody's doing something different, right? There's, uh, industrial IoT plays an in, important role because of not just the bandwidth. Again, we're talking about, it seems that wireless is always talking about, hey, how can I go faster? How can I go more data? What can I do in lower latency times? While that's all important, there's also all of these things uh, that need to be connected. Uh, solutions that need connectivity, Uh, I like What I like to say is making dumb things smart. No, I'm not talking about your coworkers. I'm talking about uh, the devices that do very specific things. Uh, And at the end of the day, what we're worried about and what we really want to make sure that people understand is in the massive uh, connectivity that needs to happen is that you need a network that will be able to provide that connectivity, not only for those high bandwidth, high throughput type solutions, but also for those devices that maybe need uh, wake up once a day and pass a little packet of information, but it's still critical for, let's say, a supply chain overall, right? So what you want to be paying very close attention to is what a network can bring uh, like Verizon can today from a narrowband and broadband uh, capacity and capability. in the sense that we're uh, for those that were paying attention back uh, at uh, Mobile World Congress a couple of weeks ago, our exec, one of our executives, uh, Sampath, actually talked about how we launched our narrowband network and a narrowband offering where we're going to be having a solution that is a sub four dollar hardware and a sub dollar per month, uh, fit, let usage fee to be able to get the data off the device. Now, again, it depends on what your use cases are, but now having the device that you can use to invest at that low of a price point, things start to change dramatically. We start to see those paradigm shifts that happen in this industry as a whole, because we start to see that this massive IoT that everybody has wanted and needed for so long, if it's just from something measuring a temperature to a vibration sensor, whatever it might be, now we have a network that gives you unparalleled coverage and in-building penetration, but also that is economical and will give you that connectivity at the point of need. So we get really excited when we start talking about these capabilities because now we're opening doors to connectivity and solutions that were never open to us before. Uh, And that's where I know a number of you that are sitting on this this panel discussion today uh, are listening in thinking, hey, I've got the next killer idea. Phenomenal. That's what my team exists for is to help develop and drive those solutions so we can actually find those next generation capabilities and move forward with Uh, whatever might be that's revolutionary in the massive IoT space.
0: That's really fascinating. Thank you for sharing a bit about that with us today. And I I hope we get um, a little more into that later on. Um, I wanted to ask Dr. Prasad, as head of edge IoT strategy at Bosch Engineering, can you maybe give us a brief description of edge technology for our audience today? What is it um, in just a few short sentences?
5: OK, so uh, it's important that we understand the journey of IoT. When we started using IoT, as uh, many panelists very clearly said, we started connecting disconnected things and then started getting data from these devices. And then data is transported across multiple layers. And finally, we parked the, all these data to a place called a cloud. So that is how a typical IoT journey started. And today, where we stand, we are looking at a very strong, cloud-heavy kind of an architecture in IoT. Which means to say, imagine I I have an IoT system where I have hundreds of devices. At the end of the day, if I look at, say, five years of my IoT journey, I will end up with a huge amount of data in my cloud. I will have plenty of data streamed in live through the networks of players into my cloud. So what we are looking at is, distribution of the load which presently is very heavily concentrated in cloud to multiple places across the layers of IoT. And that is what is called as edge. If I define edge, edge is one process where the load of the cloud which is essentially around computational capability is distributed across the multiple layers and specifically the load is actually given to devices where the data generation happens, the moment you actually park the analytics, which is presently at the cloud, at the device where the data is collected, you will bring a lot of transformational uh, uh, indices into the game. For example, you doesn't have to carry the entire data to the cloud. You doesn't have to store large chunks of data into the cloud. So the moment you do this kind of a transformational uh, uh, architectural change, For many of the applications, the data cost cost at the cloud will reduce. The network bandwidth, so people keep crying about the speed of the uh, network, so they go for 5G, 60. You don't have to have all these high-end infrastructure for many of the applications where the data collected can be analyzed, and a small decision can be made at the edge, whereas the cloud is only used as a secondary uh, 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 place where uh, the decisioned data will be carried out to cloud, and further learnings can be actually uh, done at the cloud. And once in a while, we sync up through photo to these dividers, and then the entire solution looks completely different. Today, the cloud-heavy architecture, which customer is feeling little pain in terms of cost, in terms of security, in terms of latency. Latency is one of the critical factors where people are looking at edge-heavy rather than a cloud-heavy kind of an architecture. I will try to address some of the critical challenges which Bosch is addressing in this scenario, but Edge is essentially bringing the load down from cloud to a place where the data is collected, which is at the customer side, and then giving the data analytics decisions at the site itself to the customer.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it. Um who do you think needs edge computation the most and uh, is now even the right time for customers to be adopting uh, it
5: so there are there are multiple applications which uh, might not demand see the moment i say uh, edge is future it doesn't mean that cloud we will completely go away with so with cloud and edge always complement each other in several applications let's let's imagine one simple application like Autonomous driving, right? A lot of people fascinate about Tesla cars, right? How can we actually realize a completely autonomous driving on the road? So there are plenty of sensors around the car. Car actually generates a lot of data road data, neighboring cars data, uh, terrain data, all these information. If we actually bank on cloud to steer the steering of the car, what if the cloud suddenly disappears? What if there is a huge congestion where I cannot get the decision from cloud to my steering? It is absolutely impossible to imagine such real-time applications driven by cloud decisions. And that is where a lot of these edge uh, concepts comes into uh, some niche applications where the computation uh, is moved on to the place where the data is generated. For example, vehicle computers are really, really capable now. Why can't we use the data acquired from sensors around the car to get it into a vehicle computer where we have designed ECUs, engine control units, and the decision of moving the car, steering the car happens right there. Probably the impact of the cloud is reduced. And those are some of the applications which are really, really challenging for existing cloud native architectures.
0: Thank you, uh, Dr. Prasad. Eric, maybe you can expand on all this for us. Uh, what other types of capabilities does, uh, does IoT enable, specifically with, uh, 5G connectivity? Um, and what role does cellular connectivity play in the proliferation of IoT?
4: Well, as, as you heard Dr. Guru talk about it, it's, it's becoming uh, just, it's like oxygen, all right? So it, it becomes so critical overall uh, to the, con- and, and having critical connectivity available uh, especially when you're talking edge solutions like we were, we're discussing now, um, where we're really driving toward to, to, again, where we talked about, I talked earlier about the narrowband. Well, on the broadband side, it's just as valuable to have that data in a quick amount of time, but being able to have uh, our flexible architecture be able to deliver that data in a relatively short time from a latency perspective. So when you're trying to make, you know, you have a big piece of industrial equipment that has to make a decision in a split second to change a direction or something that it's doing or slow down or speed up, that, those milliseconds mean everything. And that's what we're, we're very excited about in partnering with uh, AWS and Microsoft Azure and others to be able to take that uh, distributed architecture that you're seeing in the cloud and being able to make it available inside of the wireless network itself. So having a private network available to you, but also having private, what we call on-premise uh, LTE and five G networks, giving you latency in the sub twenty millisecond range of being able to move data through, but then having a you know a unified capability as well from what, from a coverage end end user solution perspective as well. So it gets really interesting, especially with what, uh, when we're working with a lot of these uh, edge carriers and edge solutions capable uh, that are out there. So we can make sure that we give connectivity that's reliable but also very fast and very capable as we start to move forward to some of these next generation real-time solutions that are out there.
0: Thank you. That was a great response. Um, Rajiv, what are some of the technologies that you guys are currently deploying for your IoT use cases at Ford? And if I can ask, are you using um, off-the-shelf um, solutions or platforms?
3: Okay, so uh, I'll answer the second part of your question first. So so we started out with looking at some off-the-shelf platforms, but um, as we realized that there is a lot of limitations, those those don't really live up to what we're looking for. So, uh we were starting to you know swap out components and eventually ended up with what we would call our own configuration of an IOT platform, right? So so for the most part, I think there was there was talk of you know getting data off of machines. So so we have machine state data, we have machine, you know signals, we have sensor data, we have part traceability data. So so all that we are actually publishing to message brokers. and uh, and we've got what we call a common data model, right, which essentially, uh, tells you about the taxonomy because we have close to a million assets worldwide, right? And and we need to know where the data came from. So that's important. And then each equipment would have a different kind of payload. So we have that also included in our common data model, which makes it easier to stream the data. And then again, some equipment, like the newer equipment actually has smart, you know, smart PLCs and smart components that will actually stream out JSON type data, but older ones don't. So we need to take care of that problem. So, and then we are streaming the data either to you know Hadoop, which is for, I wanna say cold storage. We're using some NoSQL databases and also using, uh, starting to use now the Google cloud platform, right? So Ford's got a strategic alliance with Google. And then transformation. So again, using Spark, uh, using a product called Alteryx, for doing some transformations and so on. Now also getting into Google services for doing the same thing. Then dashboarding using, you know, ClickView, ClickSense, Angular, sometimes Tableau. And then in a lot of cases, we're also feeding it back to our maintenance system, right, to generate maintenance work orders and so on, right? And we have not quite got to actually sending it back to the machines directly, but that's where we see going next time, right, or or going in in the future, I should say. So that's kind of a high overview of what our, you know, uh, current IoT platform looks like.
0: Right. Thank you. Um, circling back to Farid for a second, <laughs> when we talk about um, IoT regulation, uh, what happens to privacy and all of that, right?
1: Yes, this is this is actually very important topics because uh, usually what happens is with these uh, IoT devices, we get uh, so much caught up as a technology provider with the operations and uh, what we provide as a Uh, Capability and functionality to the customers that we forget about that and another part of it is customers uh, or end users come up and use um, these products for their convenience and what they need to do uh, or take advantage of it as much as possible for their future planning and everything and connecting and digitalizing the whole uh, physical factory that they have or physical industry or whatever industry that they have, they totally forget about the privacy and two privacy is important here. One privacy is like, of course, the personal uh, information that you have and tag with all the information. And the second one is, whatever is about your business that's what's happening or industry or whatever uh, uh, identity that you have there um, collected so these two parts is usually forgotten and of course in uh, whatever device that you get you usually get say yes i agree you have a big list and you click on that But what's uh, and you kind of give consent that they can do whatever they want to do with the devices but the problem is those are not really with the consent because you don't know the meaning of most of the terms and things that come up with that you don't you are dependent on them because if you don't use their devices basically if you say no I don't want or I do I disagree with this Basically, you cannot use that application or that that work or in a lot of problem, you're going to be locked with them because from the regulation perspective, if you start working with them and then you find out their privacy has an issue, it's very costly for you to change because there is no standardization behind that. So these are important parts. So in a nutshell, collection and use and disclose of IoT devices needs to be... uh, 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 in a top priority for everybody who wants to use it, doesn't matter personal information or the business information, because if you don't pay attention, um, it's very easy to, 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 to lose your data and you don't know what happens with those data and who lost it. Because in IoT, we're not talking about, I'm talking, I'm working with one vendor. Uh, there is a, let's say just in a certain, uh, for the sake of uh, uh, example, there is a camera collecting the data there is a network that transferring the data. There is a cloud that's storing the data. There is some AI that uh, uh, doing the analysis. analyzation here. So who does what and why they're doing what with that data? Everybody has their hands on it. So this is very important from the regulation and from the push of the customer, because as we know right now, it still has not been regulated and has not been looked into it properly. So it has a lot of loose end and. What we have to do here as a end users, my, my, my suggestion would be is, uh, or from technology provider, we should not create a situation that I use privacy of, or have to use, choose between privacy or convenience and uh, the technology that I'm using. I have to be able to enjoy all of them in one package of IoT.
0: Yeah, uh, and we can probably talk about this topic for a good few hours.
1: Um, I could talk about for hours, exactly.
2: So <laughs> from an ethical standpoint this, yes. and
0: from a security standpoint. Um, but uh, I'm going to move, move on to David now. So w- when we're discussing industrial IoT, we often hear about digital twins. And you mentioned um, a bit about it in your introduction. Maybe sure. you can expand a bit um, on this uh, right now yeah, for us.
2: Sure. Um, I love this concept of digital twins, and I came across it. Kind of reminds me of like the first steps of us moving into the matrix um, at some point. So there's there's the um, basic the main definition of digital twin, where you're essentially it's a virtual representation of some of of the physical world. So you have a, a physical device, and now you're simulating it uh, on a computer for say monitoring it, or be able to model it, and it becomes a representation of it. Um, it's, it's actually kind of expanding a little bit, you know, as well. It doesn't actually have to even be a physical a- asset. You know, that physical asset could actually be purely digital. So you could have applications, blockchain applications, um, AI models that are changing, you know, affecting behavior, um, the data itself, even a cloud environment. And you could actually uh, start having even digital twins of of digital assets as well. So kind of expanded a little bit. So it's a representation of a digital or a physical object. Um, The other thing I find interesting about this is it's starting to expand kind of the the definition and capability of it. So if you think of it, um, typically digital twin is focused on one direction. You know, data is coming in about the object, you're simulating the object, uh, understanding more what's going on, monitoring it but there's more and more a two-way interaction here. So you have things around control or around, even around security and kind of give you an example from a security perspective. You could start to have a digital twin of something and add things about access control or data protection to it. So you could check a message coming in and see if it's valid or if it has permission to even access the physical device um, in the first place. Um, or an outgoing message, now you could even look at it, you know, let's, let's look at outgoing messages and check those. Does it have personal information that shouldn't be permitted? Or are there unexpected commands? Maybe there's a, a message to a pump that says turn it on and off too frequently so you have a velocity check. So you could be stopping an attack from even occurring. So I think there's in general, the general definition of you have a virtual representation of physical I would expand that to being a digital world as well. And I would expand that, that we're actually expanding a broader set of capabilities, almost enhancing the capabilities of the things that you're representing as the same way. So hopefully that- David, David yes. you
5: should not miss the example of Iron Man in the end game using digital twin. The <laughs> <not a simple laughs> yeah. most important you know, example.
2: Reality is starting to merge. <laughs>
0: the Matrix, Matrix David. Um, now, I want to move on to our second uh, topic for this evening, which is, it has to do with uh, challenges and threats related to industrial IoT. And starting with Farid, um, now I know this is a big question, but maybe you can give us the top-down um, of some of the primary uh, challenges uh, IoT faces in regard to development and deployment, standardization, regulation, cybersecurity, etc.
1: I try to be as short as possible and just don't dive into any of the topics, but just give (laughs) the top, uh, um, like top overview. I mean, from the development perspective, because as you know, if you wanna talk about this, it's gonna be another session, of course. Mm -hmm. Development is, uh, you can look at it from the compatibility when you come to the technology provider, Um, being providing basically a platform to manage all, all of your devices, all in one, basically. Uh, Being limited to the advancement of the innovative technology and also high high final cost from the development perspective of IoT solutions would be, I think, my top choices. If we come to deployment, as you know, majority of the um, uh, projects of IoT not meeting their objectives. I mean, there is something about 80% that's not meeting the objectives or failing total together. So that's one of the, the main one. And one of those is, of course, is ROI as well, because you don't have a good understanding of the requirements from your customers. High initial cost of ownership and maintenance for the customer. That's another issue. Connectivity issue, especially when we talk about um, uh, wireless uh, version of it, which is going to be the, the, the most popular one and the needed one in the market, because when we come, the last one, which is, I think, 5G16 release was supposed to be with IoT with better latency and better uh, connectivity, but it still has issues as far as the nature of radio frequency that we have, cybersecurity, and we just talked about it. We um, it's a very important topic, especially after COVID-19, that became one of the major challenges here, and privacy, I just explained it, scalability is another one, because you plan for something today with the infrastructure to put in place for uh, IoT or industrial sure. IoT, and tomorrow you, have, you add devices, and suddenly your capacity is already full, and then you have to go back, and change is very costly on the infrastructure and complexity of integration with other system that you have when you... Develop uh, basically and IoT um, devices. We come to standardization and regulation. I already explained a little bit about the regulation, privacy, but the standardization is very important because uh, it should not lock you uh, into the certain brand or certain the uh, certain type of uh, framework that you're working on. You should be able to pick and choose from any framework, any. Uh, basically um, vendor that you have and be able to have the best of the solution integrated together. And if there's no standardization and regulation, that's almost impossible. When we come to um, cybersecurity, specifically, if we want to talk about it, there are a lot of things that we can can touch point on it. Uh, Lack of secure um, boot process, uh, exposed communication, lack of encryption, weak default password, malware, a lot of different things that I can, I can or legacy operating systems and such and such. I can go and talk about every single of them.
0: You know, and if we had the time, I would, I would love to. <laughs> um, we'll invite you back for another webinar, definitely. Um, but I wanted to get to Rajiv. Uh, Rajiv, what are some of the challenges that you and your team have been facing at Ford um, when it comes to the development of your IoT use cases?
3: Right. So that's a <clears throat> that's a great you know, segue. So a great question, I should say. So, um, so essentially, um, the, the first thing that, uh, a lot of, you know, the, the things we can do with the data is, is build these really cool looking visualizations, right. With all kinds of graphs and colors and all that. And, and people really get interested and in, are wowed by that. Right. But that loses its luster pretty soon. Right. Because they say, okay, this is great, you know, but how does this help me, you know, that just giving me sort of a nice thing to look at. So, so then it, it moves from going from visualizing to predicting to prescriptive sort of you know insights, right? So so there we get into more the AI ML, right? Which is really what the promise is of having all this infrastructure, giving all this data. And there we struggle, especially in manufacturing, is lack of label data, right? So so we 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 do have a lot of data, but we don't have a lot of labels. So then we can we struggle with you know having supervised machine learning cases. The other thing is a lot of What we call heavily unbalanced data, right? Because as I said before, quality is a big part of our use cases and and thankfully our quality defects are pretty low, right? So so to actually use that data and and generate some kind of insights, it becomes kind of difficult. And then a lot of our data comes from what we would call legacy systems, right? Because we have been collecting data for many, many, many years, right? It's not a recent thing and putting them in, in databases. So so missing or incomplete data where uh, a casual user would say well we've got all this data we've been collecting for all these years and know why, why can we not do something with it but but it's not the right kind of data right and then the other thing is we talked about you know hundreds of or thousands of or in our case millions of assets and do we build individual models for each and every one of them or can we go to some kind of a federated approach right where we are we're using you know the commonality amongst models and such so so those are, I think, some of the challenges that we are we are facing. And in order to actually provide you know, a, a model that has got fairly good accuracy, you got to wade through all these and identify the right ones and then also manage some of the expectations as to what this is gonna do, right? So, so hopefully that gives you a little insight into the question. Thank you.
0: Definitely. And I think managing expectations is, is definitely a big part, um, big part of that, especially with stakeholders, um, when you show them a shiny graph. Um, Anoop, is now the right time to solve uh, these challenges?
6: Well, we've been talking about IoT for how many years, right? Probably for the last decade, there's been so much hype around IoT. In fact, like three years back, it was very, at the very peak of the Gartner's hype chart. Um, and, and that's in a good and bad way, right? I mean, if you look at it, sometimes unrealistic expectations were set of how much of billions of dollars is going to come from IoT. And frankly, if you go ask a lot of the companies, are you really realizing that much dollars in revenues? Probably it's not uh, lived up to its expectations. And there's probably a couple of reasons. Uh, very rarely do you have technological advancement and business need intersect. Right. I mean, I think IOT had had a lot of technological advancement over the last few years and that's why we are where we are and you know Dr. Guru spoke about it, Eric spoke about it from a network point of view edge point of view. So we have made a lot of improvements. but I think the key was the business need intersecting. and I think right now we are at some at the crossroad where the business and technology is starting to intersect. Look at look at an example of uh, supply chain issues, right I think David mentioned over it in his earlier remarks. That's a great example of a business need that's emerged in the last 12 months because of the pandemic that needs to be sort of solved, and that could be through IoT. Look at the uh, the retail experience, which is the new customer experience and omni-channel. When you go into a mall today, it's going to be a very different experience with AR, VR into it than you had before. Now, that's a new use case that's emerged. Now you look at, you know, like medical or you look at autonomous driving that, again, Dr. Guru spoke about, these are net new use cases that did not even exist before that are sort of emerged today. So now these new use cases that have emerged, along with the technological advancement that we have made, I think makes it approximately the right time to hopefully hit that intersections. And I, as much as you all are are really, you know, hoping and cheering for IoT to sort of take off, and, and this is the right time
1: for it.
0: Yeah, I'm hearing the enthusiasm in your voice and I think many people are nodding (laughs) their head along with you. Um, Farid, what are the most important um, interoperability challenges of IoT when it comes to industry-wide adoption?
1: Right, so I want to actually touch point on certain things that, again, is mostly forgotten on (laughs) certain discussion and and, and we discuss. One of the important part is right now we're talking about um, connected world. Uh, when we talk about IoT, of course, we have a smart city, we have a smart home, everywhere we go, everything is connected. So the the one question is, do we have enough pipeline to transfer this data? The amount of the data that we're gonna transfer and just consider your phone right now, 10 years ago, without a, um, um, a smartphone, how much data you were transferring from your, uh, from your device. And now with all these social media, putting all these things on the cloud and Instagram videos and a lot of different things, how much data you, you're transferring right now. Do we have enough data pipeline? Right now, one of the most important issue or question is, which actually most of the government looking at is because the radio frequencies are already overwhelmed and licensed for even like over licensed, I would say, and there is no enough pipeline to, to make that uh, connected world happens. So that's one thing that we have to to look into it. And there's a lot of fun for researchers for wireless networking. And I talk about that. That one of the new technology that's coming in place, considered and actually I haven't. I had another speech about this about like 6G come putting the 5G together plus li-fi what we call it you know Wi-Fi and light-based communication which is free and you don't need the license that's one of the solutions. Another one is security and safety, but I'm not looking at the same cybersecurity that we're talking about. But the nature of the radio frequency that we're using is, for example, you're sitting at your house or your apartment right now and watching us, if you look at, if you want to connect to Wi-Fi, you see like 10, 20 Wi-Fi, which is from your neighbors, from stores, from everywhere around you, and it's easy, you know, password protected. How are you going to do that? Of course, there are a lot of cybersecurity measures, but it's still, you have to look at from the nature part of it that, again, that will be another issue or interoperability challenges. and especially when we come to the industry or when we come to the sensitive uh, uh, places like nuclear uh, uh, facilities, or we coming to uh, let's say um, army, military, those kind of stuff, it's very easy to jam radio frequency and take over that connections and communications, not again by cybersecurity things, but by jamming. And just imagine a connected vehicle or autonomous vehicle have an electromagnetic field around it in a way that it's jammed with the signal In New York, when you don't have GPS available, see what happens, you create a disaster. From the safety perspective, same thing. Some of these technology that we're using having bad impact on the body. And a lot of people raising or doctors raising uh, a lot of yeah, concern about that. Another thing which I already talked about it, do not touch base on it too much, is scalability because, again, we need to make sure we be able to cover all of this uh, when we grow uh, into our industry. And last thing, but not least, which is EMI, electromagnetic interference. Right now, using or having IoT devices, especially from the connectivity perspective, using radio frequency has a lot of issue in industry because there are a lot of electromagnetic field which doesn't let your devices uh, work properly. In another hand, you go to places like, uh, let's say um, MRI room in hospital, you are not allowed to use any wireless networking there so you cannot connect your devices with the with the wireless network so how you resolve that and again that's why we come up with some innovative technology things like that like i for example i made a made an example like life or light-based communication is coming to help 5g and radio frequency right now as next generation of the communication to be able to solve some of these interoperability challenges
0: Thank you, Farid. Um, We're coming up on an hour right now. Um, Is it okay for you guys to go another hour, or should we um, try to finish the discussion and leave time for a short Q and A? What works for you guys?
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe thirty minutes. An hour might be long, but unless if there's tons of questions, then we'll just keep. You know, we'll go from
0: there. Yeah, so let's try to get through this. uh, Um, to the rest of this discussion. Um, it's super interesting. I don't want it to end, of course, but um. Yeah, we have oh, a lot to cover.
2: We could go on for six hours. I'm It's gone for
0: a long time. <laughs> I don't know if Zoom even has a six hour meeting setting, but (laughs) Um, Eric, we often hear about IoT um, in an almost sci fi context, right? Like robots and drones. Uh, But are these really realistic applications in those spaces? And um, I mean, are there realistic applications in those spaces, um, such as with autonomous cars? We spoke about it briefly, um, or last mile delivery.
4: Absolutely, uh, and that's where we start, We really shine. I'll be honest with you; it's it's you're seeing some really intriguing use cases that start to kick off, especially in the V2X, the vehicle-to-many uh, communications protocols. Uh, and in fact, Verizon is is key in helping push forward the cellular V2X solution, where you start to take uh, the roadside unit type of connectivity that needs to be there, broadcasting a you know if it be a, a tower on the side of the road that's giving information. We found that that when we turn the vehicle into uh, a broadcasting unit that actually gives that, that starts to be a little bit more reliable and starts to give a lot more relevant information. Uh, So we start to see some really intriguing capabilities, especially when we start to do uh, those capabilities down the road. And again, what the nice thing is, is that Verizon already has that strong foundational network that's already always existed in our long-term evolution, fourth-generation network that we're building on top of, with our fifth generation mid band and and millimeter wave networks as well, where we're going to be able to have what I like to call the good, better, best user experience, right? Especially for the last mile delivery solutions where they need to have connectivity. Again, we wanna make sure that you're you're having the autonomous vehicles doing what they're supposed to, but as more and more of these types of vehicles and, and transportation methods start to clog our, streets and our sidewalks, we want to make sure that everybody's safe uh, and that that they're all talking to each other reliably, but also that we're giving them connectivity that can shift up and shift down depending upon what's needed. So uh, if you're, you know, having that last mile delivery and it happens to hit a, a road cone that's right in its way, rather than shutting down and waiting for somebody to get to it, we could turn on the capability of onboard cameras and have somebody remote pilot it and teach it what to do. Uh, and be able to have those capabilities. And again, you need a robust network with uh, high bandwidth, high availability and capable networks to be able to do those kinds of things. And that's what Verizon's doing right now. Uh, And we're looking to pilot on these next generation solutions down the road where uh, you have those capabilities for the autonomous vehicles of tomorrow and being able to give them connectivity and a good foundational uh, capabilities to really move forward on that from here on out.
0: Definitely. Rajiv, we spoke about some key challenges already. Um, you also spoke about um, some of the challenges you and your team faced um, when deploying your use cases. But are there any that um, need to, other ones that need to be considered, which we haven't touched on, um, when it comes to deploying IoT solutions?
3: Right. So, so I think, um, uh, as I said before, right, there's a lot of labor-intensive operations within uh, automotive manufacturing, and people are really tasked to, you know, do certain things. So, if you have watched the movie Modern Times, you know, you can see the the, the the assembly line, right, where there's no time. So so essentially, it's like, we've got to figure out, is this solution we're providing, is that going to be integrated to an existing business process, right? So, so that's the first thing that we always look at, because otherwise, it's just another shiny object, which may or may not get used, right? And then what happens if, so once you actually get to that challenge of having people actually adopt it, <coughs> excuse me, then you got to make sure that it is, it is supported, right? What happens if it goes down, right? So that's the other thing. And then um, the other thing is, is it you know, a standalone thing or is it part of some kind of portal, right? Because I mean, the reason a, a smartphone is so popular is I got one device that can do everything. It can do my banking, it can do my social media feeds, it can do my you know, email checking, it can give me directions, I can talk if people still do that on the phone, right? And and all that, right? So. So it's the same thing. Is how do you integrate all this where you're providing a a, sing, a single interface to whoever is going to be using your particular you know application? So, so those are some of the things that we consider when we deploy, and and obviously the successful ones kind of hit you know all those all those bullets, and and that that's what we we try to strive for. But it doesn't always become possible, right? But something to be considered right at the beginning.
0: Thanks, Rajiv um, mm-hmm. and Dr. Prasad. We spoke a little bit already about edge computing. Um, you gave us an overview. You, you mentioned you know, some, some industries it's related to. Um, I'm wondering um, what are some of the present challenges that are faced by organizations that are considering deployment of edge technology?
5: Okay. So there are a lot of people who are there as ambassadors of typical IoT. So let me put it from a different perspective. Today, people are trying AI machine learning models on typical IoT applications, but there are a lot of challenges in deploying AI and machine learning models in a standard IoT stack itself, because AI models are very, very power hungry, very, very memory hungry. It's not easy to deploy such models on edge servers. It's, it's actually very, very challenging. So people talk about deep learning algorithms to actually deploy and solve your problems. But can somebody explain what does uh, uh deep learning algorithm do to devise those <laughs> inferences? Nobody knows because it has a lot of neural networks which tries to take its own decisions. So explainability of these AI is a very big question in a standard IoT stack itself. But when it comes to AI deployment in uh, edge kind of a scenario, <sighs> it becomes a mammoth challenge because you hardly have any processing capability. You hardly have any memory to store your data. Now, how will you actually envision an AI model to come and sit on an edge device which is a constrained computing environment and then still you know help you giving you inferences this is one. Second, there are a lot of things on security in fact David touched upon security uh, uh, very at a very high level so let me tell you the moment security gets connected with edge so it becomes a serious challenge example security of the data what we are doing doing today is the data is collected at the edge by devices sensors that is straight away transported to the cloud but whereas the data here gets analyzed at the edge but so security of data becomes very very key second security of the ai model now what we are trying to envision is you build a lot of these smart intelligent artificially uh, driving models which are self-learning models deployed at the servers, deployed at the devices at the customer site. Now, all your effort which you have put in for five, six years in training a model and devising a very accurate inference gets told like this because you don't have any control on somebody stealing your device. The the moment the device is now stolen, your model goes away. The entire training set, the uh, model architecture that the multiple tires that you have used for clustering Everything goes. So security, scalability, and the last but not least is deployment of such models at edge becomes key challenge.
0: So is the market ready for reliable, uh, secure, and safe edge deployment?
5: So somebody actually shouted very clearly that we have not even harnessed complete potential of IoT. But Bosch, as a very strong technical company, so we are trying to address these two in these in two domains. One somebody who is actually solutioning edge ecosystem should have a very strong embedded and hardware knowledge. And that is that is where Bosch comes into uh, game. Second, these hardware systems have to be very well tied up with a middleware and a uh, firmware on top of it. The moment you actually collaborate knowledge of hardware embedded onto an IoT system, then the actual uh, convergence of a value coming out from an IoT system. Uh, I still, you know, cross my fingers, there is yet to actually see uh, quite a value from a standard IoT edge too far.
0: Thank you, Doctor. Eric, what about verticals with less consumer visibility, like manufacturing, uh, heavy machinery, real estate? What are some of the applications and considerations of IoT when it comes
4: to those industries? It gets interesting because, again, from a connectivity standpoint, things get really intriguing when I, going back to my earlier comment where um, connectivity plays a role in so many different ways. And it's a matter of being able to know that sometimes it's the non-visible data, right? So we've talked about you know, temperature and vibration, the typical things that are out there on top of, hey, I need to know what's inside that mini computer that's inside whatever that uh, end-user devices I need to have communications for. Uh, but what's been intriguing is some of the industries we've been working with, like heavy machinery and others, um, where they want to do remote driving solutions are the things they, they want to know a lot more than just, hey, if I push forward on the joystick, will the vehicle go forward, right? They, it's funny because uh, one of the interesting conversations I've had with a very, a lar- very large heavy equipment manufacturer is that their drivers learn how to drive by the way the vehicle feels. So when they're sitting in the seat, they're actually driving that vehicle and knowing if that blade is biting into the dirt or not by how the vehicle's vibrating. Well, that doesn't really translate well if you're sitting in a remote driving seat a thousand miles away. So as a part of that, we need to be able to provide uh, as part of the wireless connectivity to them that force feedback capability that actually provides the uh, information to know, hey, you're, this is how the vehicle is actually feeling uh, as they're driving it. So while that's a unique case, that be really shows to me that you need to have a robust capability from a wireless connectivity standpoint, because it's not just data sometimes. Sometimes it's atmospheric, sometimes it's relational information that's around you in that specific in, in the thing that needs to be brought into consideration. Uh, and that we have found some really intriguing capabilities. But again, having the bandwidth and capacity to be able to do that is key, which uh, Verizon is very well suited and and capable of doing so. Very
0: fascinating, thank you. Uh, Anup, so many projects uh, get stuck at the pilot phase. What are some of the bottlenecks that exist when it comes to scaling um, industrial IoT solutions?
6: You know, um, in my experience working with um, multiple different customers across multiple different industries, from manufacturing to transportation to oil and gas and mining, the two things is really uh, what customers have told me it's complexity and cost. Okay, uh, that really stand out. But actually, that's not the real reason. If you really peel out, why why is it complex? Uh, and actually, I had I had this unique advantage of building IoT solutions both for consumer world and for the industrial world. I'll tell you the complexity is there not because of the technology itself. I mean, I know Dr. Guru might disagree with me because he just said, we are not ready there. There's a lot of technological advancement that still needs to happen, but we have come a long way. I think we have enough of a technology to add value, but how we deliver the technology is where I think there's a lot of problem. If you think about it in the consumer world, you don't go pitch to a consumer. Here is analytics, here is database, here is visualization, here is edge, here is cloud, here is sensor, you don't do that. No consumer is gonna buy a solution if you do it. You just send them something and said, hey, plug it in and boom, open an app, it works. Try doing that in the manufacturing world. It's like a 12 months, 18 months, 24 months life cycle. I think Rajiv just mentioned how he couldn't find off the shelf solution. He had to put a technology team and he had to build his own IoT solution, right? If every tier one company like that starts building their own IoT solution, it's a long drawn, And tier two, tier threes are never even going to get there. Right. So I think what is really missing is the complex value chain needs to evolve into something of a more simple, vertically integrated and end to end offering that is given to uh, to an enterprise or a customer's that's easy to consume, delivered more on an outcome basis as a service as compared to here is a jargon of technology and here is components of technology for you to deal with. I think that's really the real reason of complexity, but what we hear really get heard is complexity and cost.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that needs to be industry focused. Um, David, what are some of the, well, we spoke about a few of the cybersecurity challenges. Um, maybe uh, you can talk about um, any of them that weren't mentioned until now. Um, and there's a long list, so. Uh,
2: yeah, I'll keep it brief in it and just fill in kind of some of the things because yeah. people definitely um, do bring up the, uh, some, of the, some of the items. You know, one at a high level, and then just a couple of examples is, one, I think um, what people don't realize all the time is the magnitude. Um, Literally just read something from Gartner the other day that 30% of the critical infrastructure organizations are gonna have a breach by 2025, which is a phenomenal uh, thing. just a huge surge in the number of cyber attacks that are are going on. And a lot of them are going to be, you know, life-dangering thing, you know, I mean, talked about the Florida water example before. Somebody corrected me about the Colonial pipelines that that was more of an IT issue than an attack, but there's more than enough examples here. And I think about how to summarize that. The issue around cybersecurity is like, it's actually being weaponized. You know, it's not just that it's being disruptive, but it's also being weaponized personally. If you want to attack a, a country, you're better off with cybersecurity than you are with missiles at this point. It would shut us down instantly. Um, funny thing, I I heard one security expert, no names mentioned, um, who tell me, look, breaking into an Iranian nuclear power plant is easy. Getting into a Swiss bank is another story. And I say that because the critical infrastructure in those areas are much more like uh, nuclear power plants than they are like getting into banks. And I think there's a lot of work to do in those areas. Um, some of the things that you know, I think, are you know, Dr. Prasad say about protecting even AI. You have to protect the model and the data, and especially if you want to start collaborating, how do you protect the privacy of all that information that's coming in from multiple places? Um, you know, the automotive example is always easy because people understand it. Somebody's about to crash. You change the model that says, "Hey, the accident's ten feet away. Um, only steer clear if it's you know." Uh, hundred feet away and, and, and nothing happens. or you change the data to say, hey, it actually is 100 feet away, it's not 10. There are so many avenues to attack over there. Um, the physical location, I think Dr. Sod mentioned that as well. Um, you're not in a traditional um, secure data center. So somebody can literally you have, you have two mechanisms. You almost need a secure data center in a box because you have two issues. You, you have the tamper resistance. Somebody could go and physically tamper with the box or physically take it away and do something. Um, and you also have um, all those security mechanisms, the 50, 100 different things you have built up in a secure data center don't exist in a lot of places when you're just dropping them into an industrial plant, dropping them into a sports stadium, putting them on a 5G access tower for, for computing power. They don't exist. You know. So how do you uh, resolve all of that? And... Just as an aside, uh, Guru, I'd love to talk to you afterwards because that is actually what our solution does. Um, <laughs> so I, I should probably hire you as a salesperson instead of talking to you otherwise. Um, but it does, and even distributing a software to a thousand distributed edge endpoints, how do you do that securely and stuff? And those are really, you know, huge challenges around that. So uh, those are some of the things. I'll keep it short and only for the sake of time and and we did cover some of these things.
0: Yeah, thanks David. Um, So last but not least, uh, we don't have a lot of time left but I'd like to get into some uh, questions from our third topic related to uh, approaches um, and trends in industrial IoT. Um, Maybe I'll throw out some questions and Yeah, it would be more of a fireside chat. Just feel feel free to respond and, um, yeah, and to jump in. Um, I'll start off with Rajiv. Um, What are some of the key IoT challenges that you anticipate arriving in the future?
3: So I think we've all talked about scalability, right? So that is a huge one, right? So we've got a lot Mm -hmm. of assets and with a lot of data coming in, how do you scale everything up, especially if you're talking about sending everything to the cloud, right? And not so much... Doing things at the edge, so that is one. And then, how do you action all the insights that we get, right? So, so uh, it's it's akin to your your notifications, right? Everybody wants you to sort of turn on that bell icon, click on the bell icon, and then turn on the notifications, and, and your phone is continuously, you know, beeping or ringing or vibrating or whatever, right? So, so so that's a challenge. So you, so I typically turn those off because. If I want to look at something, I'll go look at it, right? I don't want you to keep telling me that something new happened here, right? So that's, how do you find that that balance over there? And then uh, the, the other thing is like, we've so far not gone and automatically run ML models and then given you know, instructions to a machine to make changes, right, we still have the human in the loop over there. So we've got to, I mean, and if you have to get to there, how do you actually make sure that you have a very robust system, right? Uh, and then I think uh, finally the the cost benefit analysis, right? Like I always say, I mean, at the end of the day, we are in the business of making cars that are high quality and low cost, right? So, so anything that you know helps us do that, we are willing to spend the money on. But anything that is just another shiny object that doesn't satisfy that goal, how do you how do you justify something like that, right? So, so those are some of the challenges I, I see in the future, right? Because It's now slowly getting from a push system to a pull system, but again, you could, uh, you know, if you don't do it correctly, you could end up with sort of getting a black eye and pretty much, you know, nobody wants to use it anymore, right?
0: So Mm. that's that's where it's going. Yeah, I see Doctor Prasad uh, nodding his head. Do you have something you want to add to that?
5: I think it's 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 very relevant that I quote one very very challenging statement or a scenario. Uh, lot of people actually can ponder on. So imagine we, we actually look at a lot of robots uh, working on its own in industrial shop floor. Can somebody imagine how does this action happen? Say one robot taking a windshield and putting it onto a car. The other robot keeps working on the wheels. The other robot keeps sweeping the floor. Can somebody imagine the technical stack between these operations? First thing, the data needs to be collected. The moment somebody was talking at the moment some uh, one, one step from a robot has to happen. There are a lot of decisions actually have to digest. And then the step happens from the robot. Now, one thing is you'll have to collect data from a lot of sensors of the robots and then take it to your server, get some decisions, and then act. This is one. Second, can we look at some collaborative robots? We talk about what is called as collaborative intelligence, which means to say, I don't depend on cloud now. Because the entire data which which is actually required to do some actions lies with me. So I collect this data. I will ensure that the data collected at me, by me is circulated to all my fellow mates in the shop floor. And I do the same thing. I collect data from them. And what is called as collaborative intelligence. So I look at developing a collaborative intelligence layer where each one of them have their own job. If, if there is an object which has to be automatically picked up, If you have 200 uh, robots in a shop floor, who are the two robots which will go and pick? Shortest uh, path, somebody who has enough battery, somebody who has enough strength. So there has to be a tendering happening between the robots. So you have a lot of intelligence which needs to go into a shop floor like an industrial IoT kind of a system where the decisions has to be taken at the edge because the data is available at the edge, which has has serious impact, rather than going to the cloud.
0: Uh, Thank you, Dr. Prasad. Um, I'm just going to open this question up to the panel. Um, Anyone can feel free to answer. What does the future hold um, uh, for IoT from both a technological and financial standpoint?
6: I, I can jump in certainly uh, there. Uh, I think from a technological point, I think I already raised my uh, my perspective of complexity. Right, uh, the value chain will have to get simpler. There has to be more vertical integration to offer solutions to customers. Um, the things have to be offered as a service and outcome-based. And finally, we will see, you know, some bigger players entering the market who will offer it as a service to to the enterprise. So I think those would be sort of my four takeaways of how this whole thing would scale and become realistic
2: for people.
0: Um, does anyone want to add to that? Uh, if not, I'll move on to maybe uh, some Q&A, which we have here. According to published information, a large percent of IoT projects do not deliver the expected benefits. Why is that?
1: Yeah, I can jump on that. So basically, the first the first issue, that was one of the things actually I raised as well. Actually, that number is 80% is the latest study. And the the most reason is, Um, I mean, the, the, the top reason is that the vendor usually doesn't understand properly the requirement and doesn't manage the expectation of the customer is usually we are hung up on the uh, marketing name or marketing terms that we have iot industrial iot 5g all these kind of things ai but when we come to reality for example right now we all hear about 5g here 5g there but that's not the reality of the 5g 5g is not here and there. It's just a term that all of these uh companies and broadband companies using to the first for the marketing tool and the second, that's what happens. So in the most of the projects, the understanding of the requirement and mapping it properly to what will become or form a solution design is where we are lacking. And then we're over promising what the solution can do for the customer. And then we are not putting a full package together because IoT is good. Yes, we can do connected devices, but if there is no proper AI data analysis there, then you're failing right there if you do not know it's not all about the collecting the data, but what you going to do with the data, what do you expect from the data, what is going to happen after I get the data and then how can I use that and translate it to some return on my investment to be able to come up with some changes, like digital twin is a very good example of that, right? To come up with some prediction, to come some of the future changes or the best optimized um, uh, planning. If you don't do that, if you don't have that mapping properly, which is mostly where we are lacking, then that's where you're failing most of the time. So, So me. I'd like to, add to that right so
3: so I think what what I'm generally sort of observing is that people like data scientists right I mean a lot of companies are hiring data scientists and all these data scientists have gone to you know schools and they have learned through Coursera and and such right and and they all want to apply these fancy models right like I want to apply deep learning with so many layers and blah 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 blah, right so so but and and on, on the other hand some of the business problems is at least in manufacturing we deal with don't require that kind of rigor really you know so so how to find that right balance on uh, you know providing something with value that is simple enough that it can be explained i think somebody else mentioned that also right so that's that's one of the challenges because the unrealistic you know expectations from the users and then the the uh, i want to say the desire from the the providers to actually make it as sophisticated as they possibly can right so so how do you find that right balance Because that sometimes is, is a challenge right so that that leads to a lot of you know failures because uh, is what i have observed in, in you know the few years i've been involved in this area
0: um what what impact has COVID 19 had on in industrial iot technology um before during after the pandemic Maybe I'll
1: take.
5: I can give the answer. Yes. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Mr. Guru. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so what we have actually visualized uh, from last two years is trust. The moment actually COVID stuck us, we never thought that uh, somebody can actually remotely monitor their farm, not even visiting there once a month. Uh, something which uh, you know pre-COVID people have not even thought about it. So now it is it has become a reality. I'll give you a simple example. An agriculture farm needs to be well maintained in terms of uh, light, in terms of uh, humidity to the soil. And we can actually do all of them from a remote place. You have soil sensor, you have light sensor, you have humidity sensor, which can actually give you real-time data from the farm. And what you do out of it, get this data to a simple cloud, which is available free, and then run some high-level thumb rules. You don't need an AI model to actually do this. If the temperature goes down, you do this action. If the soil moisture go, 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 goes down, you actually start the pump. What COVID has actually done to all of us is to actually trust the data coming from these sensors. And what is required to actually go beyond this COVID uh, time is to ensure that the devices which collect the data, somebody was actually highlighting, have we really realized the value that a customer want from IoT system? we are too far. The reason being the devices which are actually collecting this data needs to be smarter. People say garbage into into the model is garbage out. If you don't give a quality data to any super duper model, you will never ever get a quality output from it. The the simplest answer is start from the root of the problem. You You have to acquire quality data from the devices where the sensors have to be smarter and ensure that the data which actually is generated at the uh, 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 device needs
6: to be well utilized so that you bring right access to the team. Anup? You know, all of us have started working from home. The the fact that we are all doing this virtual today and not sitting in a physical room is what pandemic has taught all of us. And that's exactly what has happened in the manufacturing Mm -hmm. world. People have realized that they need to get into remote operations. Right. So, the, if there's only one word I want the audience to take away in terms of what has COVID taught us and what changes need to happen is being able to do things remotely, right? And that—that that is sort of the definition of why IoT exists. And I'm happy that's why pandemic sort of accelerated IoT to some extent. So we have one,
5: one final we question. Have one more Omnicron at you. We <laughs> <laughs> just of off is stuck.
0: Um, we have one final question here and then we'll wrap things up. Um, one of our attendees is asking, is air gapping a thing in IoT? Uh,
5: sorry, we couldn't hear
0: you. Um, uh, Hastings is asking, is air gaping, am I pronouncing it right? Air gaping? Um, air, gapping. air
4: gapping. No, you air said gaping. it the right, right. You said Except it the right time. time.
0: Right, okay. A thing in, within IoT industry. Yeah.
4: Well, again, when you look at the definition of air gapping, it, you, what you're doing is you're isolating systems or or capabilities so they're isolated in and of themselves. If you do your network, if you have a secure network, if you have a secure platform, if you have a secure SIM, then the, the reason for air gapping goes away, right? So what you wanna do is, uh, as some of the members of this panel have already mentioned, you wanna make sure that you have um, security that is talking to itself in the sense that, okay, when I leave this data and it leaves, I, there's never a trusted entity. Right? So the device, even though the device is sending messaging up into your cloud, you need to make sure that there's a capability that you know that, hey, that that endpoint hasn't been messed with or that hasn't been modified and that data stream isn't changing in any way, shape or form. And then there's a, there's a lot of other layers beyond that. It's kind of layers of an onion, as any good security expert will tell you. But air gapping, not as much just because, again, used more in uh, secure communications where you have to put, uh, where you're physically putting uh, air in between things to, to, <laughs> to cut, to make sure it's secure. So as long as you've got the security at the at a highest level, that, that is not as a, a, a ironclad requirement overall. Yeah. You know, I have one. Alex, I, would, mm-hmm. I even say,
2: um, you gotta be careful even with air gapping. I've seen places where air gapping actually causes more problems, even then it helps people find ways of getting around it. if they have to transfer something they'll put in a USB drive or something to move data and you're actually adding even more exposures than if you actually use a secure network and there are solutions that you could actually make the network secure so it always sounds secure cuz you're air gap but it actually may even be increasing your exposure
0: interesting
4: sneaker net we love it
0: yeah. <laughs> we have a slew of questions that just came in i'm going to i'm going to throw one more at you i promise and then we'll wrap up um, what are some recommendations on how to upscale our C-suite in industrial IoT?
3: I would say start with asking them what problems they want to solve, right? I mean, can they articulate those problems in terms of, okay, why do they, you know, just knowing about IoT without actually having applications is, is really hard, right? So, so I think that would be what I would I would recommend is start with asking what do you hope to gain from this and then sort of lead from that and customize the solution to you know, that problem that they're trying to solve, right? I mean, just as a learning exercise, if you will.
0: Okay, well, and um, with that, I think we'll wrap things up. Thank you everyone for your best insights and for really wonderful discussions. Um, we could talk for hours on this, like like David said, and um, I'm really glad that we got the time to discuss uh, these topics today because they're super relevant or super important. and um, uh, I think it was, uh, I want to say Eric, who said that, you know, we have to solve these challenges now. Or Anup, was it Anup? Eric. Okay. Um, and uh, I would hope to to have more discussions like these with you guys in the future. Um, yeah, and I wanted to thank uh, thank our panelists. Thank you, Eric Varney. Thank you, Farid Bakhare. Thank you, Rajiv Kalamdani, um, Dr. Prasad, and Anup Mohan um and thank you for, to all our attendees as well who are joining us today from home um we hope that you uh, stay up to date on hub securities events uh, you can follow us on twitter we're also on linkedin um and to get in touch with any of today's panelists you can reach out to them directly um, all of today's attendees will be receiving an email in the coming days with uh, contact information um of each of our panelists so don't be afraid to drop them a line if you have any questions um about anything that we discussed today and um i hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and uh hope to see you guys soon thank you thank you
3: everybody. thank, you. Stay safe. thank, thank you, you very much
0: Take care. Um, Take care.